Hello, travelers. This is Paula Schmidt, and welcome to my theater of the mind, Evening's Kingdom. Quick little update. I was back home very briefly recently, just touching down in LFK, that's Lawrence fucking Kansas, for my sister's baby shower. And I interviewed someone I have loved and admired for a very long time. My dear friend, the singer-songwriter, Adam Mitchell, also known as the monster drummer of the beloved cult metal band, Hammerlord. We talked for hours and that's coming up for you soon. Meantime, I'm getting EK all recorded up for you guys. Today's episode is about 10 pages long. The whole story is 405 pages. So uh, today's episode is pages 285 to 298 for anyone who's counting. The whole story is 405 pages, so if I do these little short episodes of around 10 pages, that's about 10 more episodes of reading Evening's Kingdom. And then, well, I absolutely love doing these artist interviews. If you know someone you think should be on the show, reach out via eveningskingdom.com. In today's episode, as the Chiriklo rebels storm the castle Ulali, Yang soldiers and their families reel beneath the attack and respond with their own. And Uma discovers a power beneath the sands greater than any she has ever encountered. We continue. Chapter 17 Elder and Younger Worm Eon, the Younger Worm, and his father, the Elder Worm, siege miners of Chiriklo fame, were digging head to foot lying on their bellies in a tunnel so narrow that each had to hold their heads at a slant. They had almost reached all the way beneath the gates of Ulali. The worms were ambidextrous and seemingly boneless as grass. One tunneled while the other passed back buckets of the loamy dirt to the diggers behind them, stopping now and again to jig in birdtail arches to support the tunnel as they progressed beneath the castle walls. This was their plan. When the elder worm determined they were close enough, they would pack the end of the tunnel full of oiled rags and then toss in lit candles. The tunnel would erupt into flames, collapsing the ground above it, and thereby the gates of Ulali. It was hot work. The frantic pace plus the heat of so many working bodies made their hands slick with sweat and dirt, and the buckets were hard to hold. The worms preferred working in the dark, but as a concession to the volunteers helping them, tonight they allowed a few candles in the passage. Candles are eating up all my air, Worm said, grunting as his pick stuck in a thick root. So breathe rock instead, Elder Worm said. Worm the Younger couldn't help but laugh. You would eat the air of your only son, he said to his father behind him. Boy, every breath is towards death. Elder Worm patted his son's foot roughly. Breathe rock instead and be strong like me. <laughs> Longest speech I ever heard out of you, old man. No idea you knew so many words. That, said his old man, heaving up his axe, is cause I don't waste em. I sure would hate that. Better you take your turn to swing then, save up them words. The diggers behind father and son shook their heads, trying not to laugh as they went on passing back the buckets of dirt. The air in the tunnel seemed scarce as it was. But Loy, the youngest digger of them all, was smiling. He hoisted the bucket of soil all the way back behind him, placing it at the lip of the tunnel. He leapt out, 
grabbed the buckets and scattered their contents as far from the entrance as he could. Ogodai's cautionary words rang in his head. The Yang aren't stupid. And neither are we, Loy thought to himself joyfully. Everyone knew the gods loved a long shot. And what were the Chiriklo people, if not the longest shot in the world this night of all nights? Loy had never had a single thing he could call his own, not with twelve brothers and sisters. He was trying to stay focused on his task at hand, the way his eldest brother had once taught him to shoot arrows. But what with the adrenaline and the steady diet of campfire tales all these past moons, Loy's heart had lived in his mouth for days. He couldn't help but daydream about a room in the castle Ulali that he could call all his own. He'd have his own view of the ocean, maybe. A special patch of the ocean that belonged just to him, just for Loy. And there was that beautiful fern girl. He wouldn't mind sharing his view with her. Maybe Fern would even let him put his arm around her shoulders. Be still, the worm said suddenly, speaking from the front of the tunnel. It was a moment before this registered down the line, and the miners froze. Faintly, they could hear their own Chiriklo warriors above, quietly death-bringing through the alleys outside the castle. Sand and gravel trembled down the walls of the tunnel. Silent, Worm the Elder listened closely. The candle flames stood upright as antenna, hardly quavering. Such was the stillness of the miners, scarcely breathing. Loy thought his heart might burst with the waiting. But just as suddenly, the worm relaxed, gesturing that they could continue. Once again, rhythm filled the darkness. And, for just a little while longer, Loy's heartbeat resumed. The Yang of Ulali Inside the castle, the wealthy Yang merchant Sirah Helen stretched out luxuriantly, snuggling in closer to her sleeping wife, Vesta. The smaller woman was curled up against Sirah tightly. Until yesterday, they'd been apart for two entire seasons while Sirah captained her fleet down the aisles. It was Sirah's last run before their child was born, and she was elated to be home again, elated to be in bed with her beloved. She kissed Vesta's forehead. Vesta's smooth skin, damp with sweat, had curled her short dark hair into the ringlets Sirah remembered so well from when they were girls. Beautiful Vesta. Sirah had pined for her, even then. Though they'd whitewashed the stone walls of their bedroom for Vesta to paint a children's mural on, it was early in the morning, and the circular room was dark as a winter den. Starlight shone pale through the narrow windows, as cold as frost. Nevertheless, Despite the hour, Sirrah heard sure and steady footsteps coming up the winding stairway, just outside their heavy wooden door. Her elderly butler, Ethelfled, was not so much of a sleeper either. Ethelfled lived for work. She loved it. Indeed, she was uncomfortable without a task in her hands, and sleep was her mortal enemy. Sirrah suspected the sturdy old woman made herself lie quiet in bed long before she allowed herself to rise and begin her day's work until a more seemly hour, simply to not rouse others unready from their own sleep, especially not beautiful Vesta, so big now with child. Ethelfled opened the door soundlessly, presenting Sirrah with her fur-lined morning cloak. Good morning, my lady, she said quietly. I trust you slept well. Oh, yes, Sarah said. And then when they were out in the hall, And you? I can't complain, Ethelfled said merrily, holding out the candle before them, though neither of them needed it. 
Wouldn't matter anyway. What's the ticket today, my lady? As they headed down the stairs, shadows lunged ahead of them along the stones. Vesta would have enjoyed the look of them, Sarah thought to herself. But her wife preferred to sleep until shadows had long made themselves discreet. Sarah rubbed her hands together. I have a new perfume just about ready. I've been aging the oils of sweet flower with amber resin and citrus peel in stone jars. For the minerality, you know. If I have the ratios right, I believe it should smell like spring. Perhaps you'll be kind enough to try it? I should like that, my lady. On the stairs they passed the cook, who was throwing out dishwater from the night before down into the herb garden. As Sarah and Ethelfled continued past him, he leaned out the window to yell down at a small blonde person who was squatting under the fruit trees. Oi, child, the fat man said. You think my thorn apples want to drink your dirty yellow water? His round face was shining and red, his dark hair plastered wet from his breakfast fire. Sarah and Ethelfled smiled at each other slyly. Their tower's cook was eternally in a foul mood. Don't give yourself a fit now, Ethelfled said to him, grinning. The cook raised up his spoon and then quickly brought it down again behind his back when he saw his merchant mistress, Sarah, was beside her. What's that? he said. Blessings for your morning, Ethelfled said. He grunted. And yourselves, miladies. Below them in the garden, the blonde child, Ajax, blinked up at the angry man in the window, calmly finishing her pee. That's it. I'm coming for you. You'll not make water on my trees, urchin. He popped his head back inside the window like a furious mole. You'd better run. I'm coming for you. As she squatted under the trees, Ajax was watching insects peer up from her from the safety of their own burrows. This amazed her. An entire miniature world below her own feet. She studied them and then began to dig. The insects disappeared. Then Ajax toddled off, down the comforting darkness of the dusty Medina, around the side of the castle's turret, in through her parents' open door, and slipped back beneath the warm covers of their hammock. She found her mother's breast and began to suck. Much too late, the cook waddled down between the throne trees, brandishing his spoon. Nothing made him angrier than being ignored, except for small people peeing in his garden. I'll show you how to make the trees wet, maggot. But then the sky cracked open with fire, and the world went sideways. The cook woke up, lying on the ground on his side. His face was wet. The world was burning. Somehow, this didn't seem strange. He closed his eyes and went back to sleep. Alone in her bed, Vesta woke up screaming. Vesta. Sura's wife sat up naked, her bed empty save for her morning cloak, which was where Estelfled always laid it out for her in the morning. It was still warm from the morning's fire, and their bedroom looked as it always did. Yet everything was wrong. Once... Many summers ago, she'd gone to visit the Cloudland Cliffs, where there had been a terrible avalanche. They'd heard it days before reaching the cliffs, a roaring that was like thunder, crack rushing over and over as whole villages were swallowed and massive trees snapped into shreds, their roots gasping up out of the earth. The sound was like that. The sky was screaming. Vesta leapt up holding her belly, ran to the slot windows and gasped. Ulali's port was on fire. Greasy smoke clutched Sira's merchant ships, and as Vesta watched, one sank right before her eyes, plunging down beneath the waves. 
Water slapped high on the shore, and she could see bodies rolling in the tide. Blackness passed behind her eyes. Breathe. Think of the baby. Vesla dashed naked and clumsy out into the hall. Her thoughts raced. What was happening? Quick, turn back. Get the cloak. There's fire. Think of the baby. But Vesta was thinking also of Syrah. Her Syrah, who loved to start each day checking her ships. Syrah's loving gaze and Syrah's dear hands and obotics. Everything was shaking and she fell down the stairs. Think of the baby. Uma. Uma climbed up through a window onto a roof to look down into the port below, just in time to see the slow whale wreck of ships as they burst into flames. A big one crunched in half, and the prow sank right into Ulo, the ancient underwater temple of the Wutar gods. She'd given offerings to it so many times as a girl. Now, in the murky half-light, in her mind's eye, Uma saw the ancient walls give way as the ship plunged to the ocean floor. Ogodai rushed through the street, his bloody cloak flying. The ground quaked again, and the gates of Ulali rattled, but did not fall. Yang's soldiers ran to their posts and saw the chaos the Chiriklo army had sown. The outlying houses all lay still dark, the stolen port all in flames. Dead lay sprawled in the streets, catlings, lopes, Yang and Chiriklo alike. The battle had only just begun. Vliet. The Yang warrior Vliet woke to screaming. His daughter Ajax was looking up at him, still snuggled under his arm, studying him calmly with her round blue eyes. He knew he would remember that moment for the rest of his life, even as he was already whipping his feet to the floor. Kes, Kes, wake up! Jax, you stay here with Mama. Vliet paused long enough in the door for his wife, Kestrel, to bolt awake and meet his eyes. She took everything in instantly. The screaming from the Medina the aftershocks. Kess grabbed Ajax and rushed from bed to dress and arm herself. By then, Vliet was out the door. Fire crackled in all directions, and Vliet thought he sensed a new softness in the ground beneath him. But he knew that was only adrenaline, his senses racing, as he ran towards the keep through the smoking air. The shattered trees and broken bodies on the ground all around him, irrelevant. He forced all thoughts out of his head. Focus. Stay focused. Keeping wall drums at the ready was standing orders for every fortress, directly from the king. The huge, thin-skinned drums had taken up a great deal of valuable space on their long transfer across the singing sands. No one believed anyone would ever dare attack a Yang fortress these days. But wall drums were valuable warcraft, and if they ever did fall into the wrong hands, he'd come to blows so many times over these very drums. Now Vliet lifted them out of their crates carefully and began placing them along the perimeter of the wall as other soldiers rushed towards him to help. It took a moment for the aftershocks to quell, for the Yang counterminers to fill in the fires which had broken out along the castle's inner wall. Now the Yang needed to dig a countertunnel themselves, orienting by the vibrations picked up from the wall drums to aim their own path straight into the attacker's own tunnel. Vliet jogged down the roll of shining, hollow cylinders, listening. Then he doubled back. Yes. We dig here, he said. Quickly, here. Worm the younger. The worms dug wildly. The heat from the tamped-down fire was near to roasting them, yet their faces were pale as tallow candles, for they had failed. Ulali's gates stood unbroken. Now the Yang were responding to their attack. The miners' arms and shoulders were weak with pain, but they hurled themselves into their task. Working underground for days, 
eating and breathing dirt and all for nothing, he'd let his people down. How many Chiriclo would die, now, because of his mistake? They were hardly equipped to meet the Yang face to face. The Chiriclo were guerrilla fighters, hardly suited for sustained combat. The Yang had better weapons. These were the younger worm's thoughts as he burrowed on furiously. When his father called out to him, Switch! He refused to break. Switch. Now, my boy, Worm the Elder said again, more gently. A warm hand on his aching shoulder. Time for a good rest, the others said, behind him. And then somehow they were forcing Worm back, so he could rest at the entrance, so he could breathe clean air he did not deserve, and drink precious water he did not deserve. It was too bright above ground now to disperse the dug-up dirt. The tunnel's entrance would be spotted any moment, and everything lost. He leapt out with the buckets, heaving out the dirt as far from the mouth of the tunnel as he dared, and then dove back in. Worm, the miner nearest him said. Get back in here, stay down. But Worm leapt up again, bolting out with the freshly filled buckets. Gods, did it feel good to stand up like a man for once, the sun on his face, and not a worm. Arrows hailed down. He couldn't return to the tunnel now. They saw him. It was open ground from the castle's walls all the way back to the dunes where the Chiriclo's war camp waited on the other side. For a moment, Worm hesitated. Then he ran in the opposite direction. The first arrowhead sliced into his arm but fell away. Still running, clapping his hand over the wound, younger Worm saw the muddied blood rushing from between his fingers and knew the soldiers had smeared their arrows and shit. Cursing, he caught his foot on a stone and stumbled. Down came a hail of poisoned arrows. His long legs went on running. He was swimming. He was drowning in his own blood, scratching out the arrowheads as if crazed, his hands becoming heavier, becoming his father's hand on his shoulder, saying, Relax, son. Breathe rock instead. Breathe rock instead. Worm the Elder Elder Worm felt the ground ringing from the enemy's own spades in the opposite direction. If his miners knew this, too, he couldn't tell. Not a one paused in their work. A worm is for what a worm is for, Worm the Elder thought to himself, over and over. Never before had he felt so strong, so sure about what he was doing. Gods looked after the Chiriclo. After all, who else could make them smile? This was what he taught his boy, as it had been taught to him. Mind your own patch, and the rest will mind itself. It was right and good that he should be where he was. His strength felt endless as the soil rang and crumbled beneath him. An elder worm called back, They're coming in! Run for it, boys! But first, hand me the fire. He packed the end of the tunnel with oiled rags, laughing, even as the dirt rained down. Oh, those Yang were coming for their death in a hurry. Oh, you're begging for it, you Yang. Well, well, soon enough. As the boy named Loy leapt out, he saw a younger worm lying dead towards the dunes. Loy ran, just missing his own hail of arrows. The Yang threw fire into their hole just as Elder Worm threw his own candles into the rags at the end of the tunnel. Dirt and stones burst up into the air. The castle gates stumbled, crumbled, and fell. And perhaps, if anyone had stopped to look, Amidst the burst of flames, they might briefly have seen the victorious red flag of cloth that once decorated the great arms 
of Elder Worm. Vesta. Vesta ran down the shaking stairway into a riot of stinking sweetness and rot. She nearly vomited. The rooms where she and Syrah had created their famous perfumes together stood in ruins. The floor glistered with sunlight and broken containers. Perfumes from a thousand shores danced together in the air. A discordant hell. No, Syrah. Vesta ran on, her bare feet slapping hard down the cold stairs. In the pit of her stomach, she knew just as she'd known the moment she fell pregnant. In her mind's eye, Vesta had already seen her wife's quiet body, curved at the base of the stairs, long before she turned the final corner. And there was her Syra, her soft, pale legs bare beneath her bloody cloak. Such a lot of blood. Cold. Vesta gathered her close. My love. The beautiful, broken head. The blood still wet. No, she would not look at that. Vesta moved her fingers away from the broken place, kissing Syrah's eyes closed. She wasn't alone. Ethelfled, their elderly butler, was sobbing silently on the floor. She looked up at Vesta. She grabbed me and caught our fall. When the earth shook. If Ethelfled was here, then this was real. Vesta blinked at her. This is really happening. This Ethelfled stood. My dear, she said, we cannot stay. They'll be here soon. Vesla rocked back and forth with Syrah. Who? Ethelfled drew a breath. The Chiriclo. Vesla laughed harshly. What? She could feel her belly, so great with child, pressed against her thighs. Syrah's child. If we survive, my love, I shall name her for you. The Chiriclo are like goats. How could they have... And yet, it is so. A cruel joke, Vesla said calmly. Perhaps the castle is cursed. She put Sarah's body down gently, arranging her wife as if tucking her into bed. Then she stood, and when Vesta looked at Ethelfled again, her eyes were clear. Can you still swing an axe? Ethelfled smiled. The gray crescent moon of her teeth was fierce and merry, and her eyes were black. In fact, I can. The wiry old butler strode towards the great hall's fireplace, lifting up a chair from the long table as she went and hoisting it along with her. She stood on the chair to take down the two battle axes crossed above the mantel. We'll drag the dogs down to hell along with us, huh? Long years fell away from Ethelfled as she crossed back to Vesta, a massive axe raised up in each hand. This is Deathbringer, and this is Widowcry. Vesta accepted Widowcry. They'll beg us to die. That's a promise, my Sarah, she said, speaking over her shoulder. She looked back to Ethelfled. You've been training all this time. Never was much of a sleeper, Ethelfled said. She twirled Deathbringer from one hand to the next. A battle axe was so heavy, it could only be wielded with two hands. There was no way to shield oneself except by swinging. Well, come along, Ethelfled said, leading the way. Suddenly, she turned around, smiling. Oh, first things first, my dear. Let's get you dressed. Vliet. Vliet called to the young men and women assembled around him. All were armed to the teeth, but many were still drunk from feasting the night before. We'll fall back. Let them come inside the walls a little. You there, mount up. We'll slay them in the pit. Drive at them on our lizards. Make your charge, and then immediately swing for the right. Archers up on the walls. When the cavalry withdraw, you send down hellfire of arrows. And then we charge in again, and again, 
and again. You on the lizards. On your first pass, swing right. On the second, swing left. On the third, swing left again. Got that? If you lose your beast, charge in with arms. We'll drive them out. A low cheer rose. When they withdraw, send down hails of arrows. Then storm on them immediately before they can regroup. Chiriclo blood will mortar these stones by nightfall. Glory be to Goddix! 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 The cavalry pounded their chests and scattered, mounting their lizards, while archers streamed up onto the walls. From the corner of his eye, Vliet knew the archer with a bundle on her back was Kestrel with Ajax. Ha! Glory be! Keeping one eye on Kestrel, Vliet swung up onto his lizard, Warmaker, an enormous war beast whose claws he kept filed to diamond daggers. The Yang trammeled into the ragtag Chiriclo, the cavalry's formation spinning like a wheel of dismemberment, first towards the right. Then they fell back, and the arrows came. Screams rose as the Chiriclo squatted beneath their flimsy leather shields. Barbs tore undefended flesh, and fighters stumbled back, tangling over their fallen. And then the soldiers mounted atop the lizards came surging again, from the opposite direction. Tolu crept forward, covering himself between shield and the fallen. He managed to drop two yang before the wheel of death spun away again. When the next hailfire came, he took cover beneath their scaled bodies and waited, his heart steady, his eyes smiling. Fern. From the dunes outside the castle, Lelora watched the battle. We're losing, Lelora said. We've lost. We will take the castle, Fern said fiercely. It has been prophesied, at great cost, but we will take the castle. Would that I had your faith in your prophecy, my daughter. Lelora sank back, staring up at the tanned skin tented above them to hide their silhouettes from view. It is done. Owain, we will join them. Fern, take your brothers and the other children back into the singing sands. You must go back the way we came. If we should lose the day... We can't, Fern said. We need water. Owain wrapped Fern in close. Listen to her, my love. It's my turn to fight now. They need all of us. Fern stiffened. I'm a better shot than you are. And that's why the children need you, Owain said. You just want me to stay safe. I'm going to fight right beside you, Fern said. That's it. I need to keep you alive. Owain drew a deep breath. She knew he was memorizing her face that he thought they might never see one another again. Fern, I need to know you're alive. She pressed her face to his chest. I don't want to be, if you're not. Fern, you will do this for our people, now, this instant, Lelora said. Owain squeezed her. After this, you and me will make our own ship and we'll sail away, just like we dreamed about, okay? There's nothing but crying trees here, Fern said bitterly. You can't build a ship with crying trees. I know the stories. They sink on purpose. They drown you. Hey, hey, we got all we need. We have this. He held her so tightly. She felt the world fade away around them. We have us. We're all we need. Beside them, Uma lay on her belly, watching the battle rage. She pressed her body into the sands, working her fingers down into the softness. Something beneath the sands was awake to her asking her to call its name. This is Paula Schmidt, and thank you for listening. For more free stories, interviews, and meditations, please visit eveningskingdom.com.
please stay tuned. More from me is just down the road.